Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, lead pastor at Hope, and we are so glad you're listening in wherever you are. In this moment of social distancing, we hope that our audio and streaming resources meet you where you are at and help you stay connected to God and to His promises. I want to welcome you once again to Hope. We're glad that you're here. Uh, we, uh, we never take for granted uh, that you guys made the trip here, that you guys took and jumped over whatever hurdles were in your way uh, to be here. Maybe you're joining us through our live stream. We welcome you as well, and we're grateful. Uh, but this morning we're looking at Galatians chapter 2.15 as we continue our summer sermon series on the cross of Jesus this summer Uh, We are exploring what the Bible has to say about the cross of Christ. So we all know that Jesus died on the cross, but why was Jesus crucified? And what did his death accomplish? The last few weeks, we answered that question with reconciliation. The cross of Jesus accomplished reconciliation. But we also learned that under the hood of reconciliation is something called justification. And so for the next two weeks, we'll be exploring justification. Now, justification is one of those five-syllable theological words uh, that we just need to get comfortable with. Okay? Let's all just say it together. Justification. Ready? Justification. We just need to get used to this word. There are no shortcuts around this truth. It is absolutely vital that we not only understand justification, but... Live in light of it. Lutheran theologian Gerhard Forda is famous for saying that the Christian life is the art of getting used to our justification. And if that's true, then we should at least know what justification means and especially explore how we can get more and more used to it in our Christian life. And maybe you're joining us and you're not a Jesus follower and you're asking, what does it mean? To follow Jesus. Is this just one path like the many out there? Is this just one religion like the many out there uh, that just is giving me a rule of life? Or is there something different? And I want you to know that there's something different because what Jesus did is he did is he justifies us. And so we're going to learn about what that means and why that makes all the difference. And to do this, uh, we're going to dig into Paul's letter to the Galatians starting in chapter 2. This is one of the most famous teachings on justification that we have in the New Testament. I'll read it and you can follow along. We'll pray and we'll see what God has for us this morning. This is God's word, Galatians 2.15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, 
And Christ died for no purpose. This is God's word. And Lord, with the words of my mouth and with the meditation of all of our hearts here this morning, be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. And Holy Spirit, do your work in our hearts so that we would not just learn new information. Lord, that we would not just learn about justification, but that we would actually see Jesus and love him and sing of him and delight in him and encounter him and be changed by him. And love others in him. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, these past few months, I've been attempting to thin out our basement storage. Uh, And it's been very nostalgic because things that were very central to my life, like my first iPod, for instance, (laughs) like I think it's generation two or three, uh, I didn't go anywhere without that thing. And now it's gathering dust in my basement storage. I'm wondering if I should throw it away or keep it. And the truth is, I'll probably keep it. Just because, you know, how could you throw away such a thing? Um, I'll never use it, but it is still around in my storage basement. It probably always will be. See, that's what basement storage is for. It's that giant junk drawer for things we want to keep in our life, but never use. Amen? You know what I'm talking about? What are those things for you? These are things that were in the center of our orbit, but in time they started to edge to the outer perimeter of our life. We're not ready to get rid of them, (laughs) but neither do we use them. Well, this is not just true of the stuff that we own, but it's also true, I think, of the beliefs that once shaped us. So follow me here. Maybe there's a belief or a conviction that played a central role in your life But over time, it started to move to the edges of your life. Like my iPod, you haven't thrown it away. You probably never will. You've just thrown it in the basement. It's stored away. Technically, it's in your life, but truthfully, it's in storage. Well, Paul is addressing something like this in Galatians. The church in ancient Galatia received the message of the cross. They received the the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus and his cross and what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And they centered their lives around it and on it. But over time, because of reasons we'll get into, that Paul outlines for us, Jesus and the cross was edged into the basement storage. It was in their life, but it wasn't central to their life. Now, what did this look like? We don't have a super clear picture because Galatians is a letter. It's an occasional letter. It's a letter written by Paul to this church. And so it doesn't outline everything as much as sometimes we wish it would. But we have hints about what was going on in this church. And the first thing, the first hint we see is that of hypocrisy. This is a word that Paul uses actually in the passage before the one we read. So I'll read it now. Starting verse 11. Pay attention to the word hypocrisy. But when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, so this is a, a previous experience that Paul's recounting, I opposed Peter to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, non-Jewish men and women. But when they came, he drew back and he separated himself, no longer eating with them. Why? Fearing the circumcision party. This is the party that came from James. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their what? Hypocrisy. 
But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before all of them, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, which is what uh, Peter had been doing, how can you now force the Gentiles to live like Jews? What's going on here? Paul says hypocrisy is going on here. Now what's hypocrisy? Hypocrisy is when your actions don't conform, don't conform to your convictions. Right? That's hypocrisy. It's when your walk doesn't match your talk. Peter's talk was Jesus is all you need to be right with God. That's his talk. But Peter's walk was, according to Paul here, well, I guess you also need uh, to observe certain works of the law, which we'll get into, that prohibits Jewish men and women uh, from eating with non-Jewish men and women. His actions by sitting in a separate table, by not eating with Gentiles in the church of Antioch, like in the church of Jesus, by having separate tables, what Peter is guilty of, according to Paul, is hypocrisy. He's preaching a gospel. All you need is faith in Jesus, but his actions are not in line with his proclamation. Does that make sense? Are you tracking? Great. That's hypocrisy. Paul says, your talk is great. Paul and Peter are are in total alignment with their convictions. It's just that, well, Peter's walk doesn't line up. In fact, that's language that Paul even himself uses. He says he wasn't walking in step with the very gospel that he proclaimed and believed. Hypocrisy. You are walking as if you need to do these things in order to be good with God. Though you're talking... All you need is Jesus. And the reason Paul brings this up, I think, is because it was happening again in Galatia. To them, Paul says over and over and over again, just look at verse 18, a person, or 16, a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And he goes on, not by works of the law. Because why? Works of the law, no one will be justified. And then verse 19, he says, I died to the law. It seems that well-meaning believers in this church were adding to the cross, like Peter was. What were they adding? Something called works of the law. So specifically, these are ceremonies, rules about food and eating, other things like circumcision, uh, all things that set Israel apart from the whole world. But generally, works of the law can, can be anything that we would add to the cross of Jesus as necessary for our salvation. Others have said it well. Addition is subtraction when it comes to Jesus. Because you are saying to Jesus, Jesus, you are not enough. And God, the story you're telling isn't the right story. So hypocrisy, that was going on. We also get hints of what we'll call moralism. Moralism. Look at verse 17. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. Now that, that word sinners probably relates to um, Gentiles. So you're, you, like Gentiles in those days were designated sinner and Jewish men and women in those days were designated righteous. And so if we in being justified with Christ are basically uh, 
kind of found to be sinners now that have this status, is Christ then a servant of sin? Well, certainly not, he says. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Paul is saying, if I rebuild what I tore down, in other words, if I, if I say, yes, works of the law do need to be added to Jesus, then it, I'm, I'm rebuilding something I tore down. And he says, if I do that, that's actually me being a transgressor. See, people seem to be criticizing Paul's Jesus alone message because it seemed to give them a fear that this would encourage immoral behavior, that they would be found sinners. I mean, if God only accepts us because of the cross and nothing that we do or don't do, then doesn't that open the floodgate to immoral behavior? That was probably the concern. Which would make Jesus a servant of sin, according to the accusation. If this gospel, Paul, makes us sinners, isn't Jesus the usher? Well, this concern is always present wherever the gospel of Jesus alone is preached and believed. In fact, speaking as a preacher, some would say that if you never receive this kind of pushback, in your congregation. You're probably not preaching the full-on gospel in its fullness. And this pushback has a name. It's called moralism. It's when we believe we're made right with God by our morality, by the things that we do, by our actions. The cross is just there for when we screw up. I don't know about you, but I grew up with this message of the cross. The message of the cross that I grew up with was the cross is there when you need it. I kind of fooled myself in my youth that I didn't need it very often. You know, I sort of said, well, here's the respectable sins that I don't really need the cross for. I can just feel adequately bad enough about. And then there's really bad stuff that hopefully I'll never do, but when I do, I'll fall back on the cross. That's moralism. Because we're saying the cross is just there when we screw up. Basically, everything is up to us. And there's the fear that if we preach the gospel, that the only thing that makes you right with God is what Jesus has done on the cross. The fear is that we would just simply say, yes, okay, I don't have to worry about sin anymore. And doesn't that make Jesus a servant of sin? Paul says, absolutely not. We're going to talk more about why. But in this passage, we get hints of hypocrisy, we get hints of moralism. Both put the cross of Jesus in the basement storage. We might think, This is no big deal. After all, these Galatian Christians are essentially essentially saying, like, we want to be good people. We want to, like, really please God. And so we might say, what's the big deal? But it's a big deal to Paul, because when you put the cross in the basic storage, uh, you are essentially saying Jesus died for no purpose. The cross is inspiring, but it's not absolutely necessary. And that's exactly the conclusion that Paul reaches in verse 21. Take a look. Paul says, I do not nullify or make null the grace of God or pointless the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. And that is a no-no for the Apostle Paul. Christ did die for a purpose, for our justification. See, we're no different than these men and women in Galatia. So here's our question this morning. How can we keep the cross centered, centered in our life? 
How can we keep Jesus and the cross right in the middle of all that we do? How can we prevent that creep that we've been talking about? Well, the answer Paul gives us is justification. There's that five-syllable word again. Know it, cherish it, live in light of it, get used to it. What is justification? Well, justification is a courtroom word. And it answers the question, how can one be right before God? Not just pardoned and free from guilt, but right, positively right before God. And this question is at the bottom of every single way of life, by the way. Uh, We all want to be right before God, don't we? Uh, We may not frame it that way in a secular world, uh, but it's... That is the main driving force behind all of our obsessions with body image, with career, with popularity, with power, with fitting in, with romantic fulfillment. All of this is at base a desire to to stand right. It's what David Zoll calls our okayness. Whatever you do to feel okay, to feel balanced, it's our functional justification in a secular world. But it can also look religious, and it definitely has a technical religious theme in this text. In Galatia, men and women were trying to be justified by works of the law. This is resting in our obedience to God's good law for our okayness. For our rightness for God. This was probably their national identity as Israel. It was probably their obedience to God's good law as well. But what does Paul say in verse 15? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, which is to say we all we have this sort of special grace by being in God's family, Israel. And he says in verse 15, we know that a person, though, is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And so right away, Paul is relativizing this Jewish Gentile distinction. He's saying, we were born Jewish, and there are Gentiles, but we know a person, a person. He levels the ground, and he says, people are justified through Jesus, and not works of the law. And he goes on, if you continue to read in verse 16, we know that the person is not justified by works of the law, but what? Through faith in Jesus Christ. So that we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Now, I think this would probably get like a D minus in high school English because the teacher would say, you're being redundant. (laughs) You've said said the thing already. Um, And the apostle's like, no, I need to repeat this because this doesn't come naturally. Repetition is often a good thing. When we need the repetition. And that's exactly true when it comes to our justification. Humans don't naturally believe this. We naturally want to justify ourselves, don't we? But over and over and over and over again, the apostle says, no, we are justified. We are made right with God by Jesus. Not you. Not you. Not the works of the law that you do. But by Jesus and what he has done. And notice what how Paul says this can be ours. This justification. He says, by faith. By faith in Christ and not by works of the law. What is faith? I want us to, I think we all have immediate thoughts about what faith is, but I want you to think of faith like you think of hunger. 
Track with me on this one. If you don't eat all day, you will be hungry. And let's say you're invited to a giant um, cookout. And you show up, and what do you do? You, you are drawn to this table set with hamburgers and pasta salad and watermelon and everything else. And your hunger lays hold of food. You can't take credit for the food. You can't even take credit for your hunger. You're just hungry. Someone else made the feast, and so you lay hold of it. That's how faith works. That's how justification works. Faith is simply laying hold in your need of something that somebody else did. A table that was set by somebody else. What Jesus has done. Faith is like that iPod charger that charges your phone. That connects you to the power source. It's the conduit through which all of Christ is poured into your life. That's what faith is. It's nothing we can take credit for. It's like hunger. God gives us the gift of faith to, to, to lay hold on Jesus. And so it's to God's glory anyway. And so that's how justification gets applied to us. Theologians of old have defined justification this way. An act of God's free grace. In which he pardons all of our sins. And accepts us as righteous in his sight. Only for the righteousness of Christ. Imputed or credited to us. And received by faith alone. You see that? Justification is an act of God. God has, in a sense, dropped the gavel in the courtroom and said, legally and in a binding way, you're not only pardoned, you're righteous. No, no, I see you're saying, I get it, I see it. But Jesus is your justification. The judge became judged in your place. Justification. So I know the kids are in here this morning, and I wasn't ever taught this word as a kid. So if you can remember this word, kids, as you go about your day, justification. You can just imagine yourself in a courtroom, and you can imagine God saying, you are not the only the court is what Jesus has done. And you can lay down all of those fears and all of those uh, all those things that you feel like, oh, I'm not doing right by my parents, I'm not doing right by my teachers, I'm not doing right by even my own standards, I'm not doing right. I'm just not doing right. I'm never doing it right. The justification, this big word says, you are right in my sight because of Jesus. It's a truth that you need to settle into. It keeps the cross of Jesus central. And more than that, it actually creates the life change that you and I desperately need. Remember what Gerhard Ford says. He said, the Christian life is the art of getting used to justification. Now, why would he say this? I think it's because justification changes your motivation for growth. It not only changes your status before God, but it changes your motivation for growth. If we're not saved by something we do, but only by what Jesus does, then our motivation is fundamentally different. As it's been said by others, we obey not in order to be saved, but we obey now because we're saved. And we're safe. So we move from a grudging obedience to a glad obedience. So listen to verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. So pay attention to this word live. 
So Paul just said, I live to God. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And that last phrase is everything. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you see it? Paul's way of life is radically different because of his justification. According to Paul, the justified sinner lives life differently. They live to God. Instead of in fear of God, instead of sort of uh, to appease God, they live to God. In fellowship to God. They live by faith. They live with Christ in them. The same Christ who Paul says loves us and gave himself for us. This is absolute security. We are, as has been said, all the way known and all the way loved. Never abandoned. We are righteous in the sight. That's justification. And that changes not just your status, but how you live your life. I'm borrowing this metaphor a bit, changing it a bit from Dan Doriani, but think about the last time you mowed your yard or did garden work. I mean, I haven't done it in a long time because it hasn't been raining at all. Um, so I'm just watching my yard turn like the straw. But most of the time, when I mow the yard, I'm doing that because I'm afraid of being that one yard on the street that is not mowed. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, or if weeds start growing up, most of the time I'm pulling weeds because I don't want to be that yard. That is a fear-based yard work mentality, okay? It's, it's completely just me doing it because I have to do it. I'm avoiding embarrassment. And some of you think about it like you garden or you mow in the same way, but I know there's some of you that exist that actually enjoy tending your garden, actually enjoy tending the exterior of your house and what the yard looks like. You're not doing it to avoid punishment. You're not doing it to avoid embarrassment. You're not doing it to impress others. You're doing it because you enjoy it. And there's beauty and joy in landscaping. It's just something that you've inherently grown to love. Well, that is obedience when we are settled in our justification. Because we no longer have anything to prove to God. We are all the way righteous in His sight. So we obey because we are free. We want to. And we start to see the beauty of God. And we want to pursue His ways. And when we don't, we name it. We just name it. And we experience afresh His unbelievable, hard-to-understand, justifying grace, which makes us, in time, long for His ways more. Justification. It keeps the cross at the center. It keeps it out of storage. We need it all the time. So may we be a church that is always settled in God's declaration. As Tammy Rush puts it, the verdict is in. The verdict is in. Pardoned and righteous. Lord, we pray that you would settle us in this truth. We pray that we would admit that it's even difficult to believe. But Lord, would it change everything about us? Would we become a church that is settled, that is at at core, at our core, at rest, in a place of repose, because we know your legal declaration of rest. We're so grateful for your reconciling work, that relational word, that sometimes we need just legal proof. (laughs) 
that we are right with you, and you offer that to us with justification. So we lean on that now, and we certainly do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our church and for more resources like this, visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.